this morning. I get to be with you because Pastor John is traveling this morning uh, up to Seattle uh, for our annual Foursquare Pastors Convention. Uh, that's taking place this week, and so he and Kim are on their way uh, there right now. So I'm going to come, and we're going to continue the series that we're in um, entitled Transcend. We've been working through the book of Philippians together, and we've been looking at how we transcend the challenges uh, of our lives for, for the gospel and for, for how God carries us through those things. And so Paul, is been, he, he's writing this letter from a prison cell to the Philippian church and trying to encourage them as they go through kind of a challenging time in their church. And so uh, we're going to start in chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. We're going to look at that today. And this, um, we're just continuing along in the text. And we come to this where, where Paul, he's addressed a whole bunch of concerns. And now he starts to encourage them as he wraps things up. And so we're going to look at that this morning. So let's dive right in. Let's read this together. You can follow along in your Bible. By the way, if you, um, if you are not using the YouVersion Bible app, I just want to let you know that's an opportunity where you can access our notes every week. So if you navigate through the maze of menus in the app there, you go to live events and you'll see Antioch Church and all of our sermon notes are listed there to follow along. So you can, you can use that if you'd like to. But let's take a look at this, um, this passage here. In Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, Paul says this to the Philippian church. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pause and, and just pray and give this time to the Lord before we dive in here. Lord Jesus, we pray that as we come again to your text, Lord, it would not just be about um, hearing, it wouldn't just be about information or knowledge, but Lord God, by your spirit, you would begin to transform something in us. Lord, we give ourselves to you during this time to be transformed, to be changed, for your Holy Spirit to bring encouragement or correction or challenge. And so we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So now, this passage of scripture here in... Um, in chapter 4, it often gets preached one of two ways. The first way that it gets preached a lot of times is um, a message on joy. Because Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So we get, or we get uh, sermons on joy. And that's a great topic. It's definitely there in the text. The other thing that is a topic that we hear out of this passage is um, a message on prayer. Uh, because he talks about prayer and, and making your requests known to God and the power of prayer, how that, how that interacts in, in, um, in our lives. But this morning, I want to kind of take a step back from those two topics, and I want to look at the theme that's going on kind of on a bigger 30,000-foot level here of what Paul is communicating through these, these topics. 
So we have to understand a little bit of context again about what's happening in order to understand the theme of where Paul is going. And we, it's okay to zero in on those things of, of joy and prayer. We're going to talk about that. But there's a bigger theme also that's going on. So the context of the Philippian church is that as we've looked through this series, they've had a lot of things that they have to transcend by the power of God. Because they were, they were experiencing persecution. It was coming in the forms of false teaching. It was coming in the form of people taking advantage of the church. And they were slipping as a church. Paul had gone to, to Philippi and had established the church and had given them the gospel and they had a strong foundation. But somewhere along the way, they began to let in other influences. And they began to slide from the truth and mix it with uh, Judaism, with traditions, with their past, with culture, with other things, and they were getting off track. And so Paul now writes them to, to re-engage and call them back to these things. Now, so he's, he's engaged a lot of these different topics and issues, and we've talked about those as a church as we've worked through the book of Philippians. Um, he, was, he was writing, he wrote uh, things that addressed their relationships We've talked a lot about relationships in this series. He addressed the, what they were focused on. He addressed their identity and their witness. He, he addressed their unity as a church. He addressed, ultimately, their faith in Jesus Christ. And he calls them back. And these are topics, these are things that we've been discussing. But now, having discussed these concerns, Paul continues to focus on what will keep them on track so he taught he's talked about what's wrong and how to how to get out of that as a return to the gospel and now he's going to encourage us with what will keep us on track in those areas and this is what he says this is the grander theme in this passage it's trusting in god's presence it's trusting in god's presence it's not reverting to their past it's not welcoming new beliefs it's not worldly pursuits it's, it's God's presence being among them. That's the thing that's going to keep them on track in all of the areas that he's been admonishing them to continue, to focus in on, to not let uh, the enemy get them off track. The one thing that will keep them on track is trusting in the presence of God, trusting and staying firm in the fact that he is enough for them. And that's still what we need to hear today. That's still a message that is uh, as real today as it was to them. We need to trust in His presence to transcend our challenges, our cultural context, the roadblocks that we put in our own way sometimes to experiencing Him and the fullness that He has for us. Now the problem is that trusting in God's presence doesn't come easy for us because trusting is hard, isn't it? Trusting is not an easy thing. Here's the definition of trust. It's reliance on the integrity, strength, ability, or surety of a person or a thing. Now, if you're like me, you don't really like to rely on anything, maybe other than yourself, right? We like to be in control, and we don't like to ask for help. We like to rely on ourselves, to rely on anyone else means that we are taking a risk, 
right? We're taking a risk. Trusting doesn't come easy. But it's having confidence in God's presence. It, that's what it means to trust in His presence. It's, it's a confidence. And that's why Paul talks about, all throughout Philippians, about having confidence. In fact, in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Be confident that he who began a good work in you, that he will bring it to completion. Confident in who? Confidence in me? No, it's confidence in him, that he's the one who can bring it to completion. That's a message the, that the Philippians needed to hear. It wasn't going to be that they could mix together some, some form of spirituality to answer their deepest need. No, it was what God began in them. Was going, he was going to be the one to complete it. And it's the confidence in him and in his work that gets it done. And then in uh, chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He's saying we can't, we can't try to do this on our own. That's not going to get it done. We've got to come back to trusting and having confidence in the power and the presence of God, of the gospel at work in us. See, Paul knew that if their faith, their confidence, their trust could be solidly on Christ, it would guard them. It would guard their hearts. It would guard them against all of these things that were barraging the church and trying to get them off track. It would guard them. His presence would keep them. So he includes it again here in his closing exhortations to them, his closing statements. He encourages them again. This is what you have to prioritize. God's presence, trusting in his presence, has to be the foundation to keep you on track. Well, trusting in that is hard for us too, isn't it? Trusting in, in that is a tough situation. Let me, let me just ask you, has anyone in here ever been stuck on a roller coaster? Yeah, far too many of you have just answered yes. So when I was 12 years old, my family took a, a, a vacation to Florida, and we went to a place called Bush Gardens. And I was so excited because this was going to be the very first time I ever got to go on a roller coaster that did a full loop, okay? So I was really excited. And so we went, and we stood in line. You know, the anticipation is growing as we stand in this long line, and we finally get there, and it's our turn, and we load in the little car, and we start going up the hill, the beginning hill, you know, to get the speed. Clack, 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 all the way to the top. And the first of the cars is just starting to crest the top, and it stops. And we're there, and we're waiting, like, okay, is this part of the ride? Like, what? And so, you know, when, when, you're, when you're riding like a 60-second ride, 10 minutes is a long time. We waited there for 10 minutes in the hot Florida sun, right there just waiting with no, no clue what's going on. So finally, somebody comes, uh, somebody from behind some uh, panel somewhere comes over the PA system and says, don't worry, we just want to let you know it's just a problem with the computer and we're having a tech come and he's going to look at it. That did not instill a lot of confidence. Another 15 minutes goes by. I kid you not. 
we're baking out in the sun. People have to go to the bathroom. There's people that are cussing out the employees. There, people are threatening to sue the park. It was getting ugly. And then all of a sudden, without any notice, the whole roller, roller coaster lurches forward and then stops again. People, I mean, we were freaking out. So finally, they come back on the PA system. They said, okay, um, we're going to give you your choice. You can either disembark from the roller coaster or we think we have it fixed. You can stay on and try to ride it if you want to. <laughs> we're like, what kind of choice is that? <laughs> A little confidence here would help. So, um, so they finally came back and they, there was, by the way, there was only one of the cars that wanted to actually try it and ride it out. And they ended up, they ended up making everybody get off. And so they're carrying people down the stairs, literally like people that are too scared to walk down the stairs. They're carrying them down the stairs. Suffice it to say, I did not go on any more roller coasters the rest of the day. I was, I was done. That was it. I was toast. I was like, forget it. I'm done with roller coasters. I have since overcome my fear of roller coasters. I have recovered from my phobia. But isn't it true that when, once we've gotten burned, when we've put our trust into something and then we've gotten burned, how hard is it to trust again? It is a challenge, right? It is hard to trust. Now, a roller coaster, you're out of control. I mean, it's, it better operate the way it's supposed to operate because it's not depending on you, is it? Is depending on some computer that's glitching in the back. It's hard to trust. In fact, we live in a culture of skepticism because we don't like to trust. There's, there's things that, there's people that take advantage of us and undercut our trust. In fact, did you know that last year in 2017, there was $16.8 billion stolen from Americans through identity theft? Isn't that crazy? That's 30% uh, of people in the U.S. have experienced some sort of identity theft. That's crazy. It undermines, it creates this culture uh, uh, that undermines our trust in people. And ultimately, we can shift that sometimes to our trust in God. We become so disillusioned that we, we don't trust in God anymore. And and so one of the key things that Paul is trying to communicate is, is that if you want to stay on track, you have to trust in God. You have to trust in His presence. Now, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. It wasn't for the church in Philippi. They were being bar uh, barraged by false teachers, by, by people who were attacking the church. But Paul said, you know the truth. And what's going to keep you on the rails is trusting that in the middle of that, in the middle of the storm, God is present. He's there with you. He's going to carry you through. We can't allow things like scams and data breaches and the, the culture that's around us to shift our perspective on our trust in either people or ultimately in God. So here in Philippians 4, Paul outlines for us how we are to trust in God's presence and transcend whatever we face. So this is what he encourages them with, to leave them with this. After, after addressing all of the concerns that got them off track, he's saying, okay, here's how you stay on track. So how do we trust in his presence? The first thing 
he mentions is rejoice. Now, I already mentioned that, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He mentions it two times in the same verse. Twice. And he mentions this all over Philippians, that we are to rejoice, that we are to have joy. No matter our circumstances, we have joy. No matter what people might do to us, we have joy. Why? Because it's a choice. It's a choice that we choose to have joy in the middle of what somebody is trying to do to us or what we're experiencing. It's a choice. He's not advocating, listen to this, listen, he's not advocating some superficial head in, your, head in the sand, everything is happy and everything's okay. This is not some superficial happiness. He's talking about a joy that is deeply rooted in the presence of God. That they can have joy no matter what. That they can rejoice always. Not because of what's happening to them, but because of who is in the trenches with them. That God's presence is still there to carry them through no matter what. And so we rejoice. When we rejoice in God, when we rejoice no matter what circumstance, it actually makes a statement that welcomes God's presence. It makes a choice. We're making a choice. God, I welcome your presence into this situation. I am choosing to rejoice regardless because I believe in you. My confidence is in you. So he's not advocating this kind of silly happiness He's advocating something deep and profound. And we can rejoice in any situation because we're rejoicing in who God says He is and in who God says we are. We're His children. We're heirs to His kingdom. His presence is with us. He wants to be with His children. And we rejoice because we believe. Our confidence is in Him. Now, Paul's example of this, remember, Paul's writing this from a prison cell. Paul is writing, rejoice always from a prison cell. So he's got room to, to talk here. He's rejoicing in God's presence, even in his own circumstances. Let me ask you this. What is your response to crisis? We have all kinds of responses to crisis, don't we? Sometimes we fear, sometimes we doubt, sometimes we ask, God, where are you in this? There's, there, we don't understand. How many of us rejoice? How many of us is that's our first response? God, I'm going to rejoice because now I get to see your presence break through in a new way. See, when we make the choice to rejoice, we're inviting God's presence into our storm, into our crisis, into our situation. So that's the first thing, God, uh, that, that God invites us to rejoice in every circumstance, and Paul is communicating that to the church here in Philippi. That's what will keep them on track, when your first response is to rejoice in God's presence. Secondly, how do we trust in His presence? The second thing is to be known by people. Now that's kind of, kind of an interesting concept, that, that God's presence would be tied to how people know us. But that's what he says here. Let your, he says in verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That word reasonableness means gentle, gracious, considerate, 
He's saying, let people see the gospel at work in you. Let, see, let people see God's presence at work in you. The, the presence that has given you gentleness. The, the God's presence that has, has given you this level of graciousness and, and considerateness to each other. Let people see that. Let it be known to other people. Now, like trusting, it's a, it can be a scary thing to truly be known by someone, can't it? To be known by someone requires a level of vulnerability. It requires a level of risk. Now, there, there's a big difference between an acquaintance and, and a friend, isn't there? An acquaintance is somebody on Facebook who you are quote-unquote friends with, but you know nothing about their lives. On the day-to-day, you have no idea what's going on. A friend is someone who's willing to walk with you through the challenges of life. They're in the trenches with you. There's somebody that you can turn to and say, hey, I need help. That's being known. That's, that's revealing yourself to someone. It's being known to someone. And that's not easy sometimes because it requires us to risk and get vulnerable. Any of you remember all the way back maybe when you were dating? Dating requires some risk and vulnerability, doesn't it? When you're dating someone, it's always this delicate balance of how much are you going to put out there about yourself, right? So there's this broad spectrum of, I like um, long walks on the beach and sunsets. You're not giving away too much there, are you? All the way to, hey, come and meet my family. Come and meet the parents. Like there's a level of uh, vulnerability, right? And so there's this whole wide range of, uh, of, of revealing yourself to someone. And the scary part is you don't want to reveal too much too soon. There's like a timing thing there. Because why? Because we want to guard our hearts. We don't want to get hurt by somebody. When you put too much out there and then they let us down or it doesn't work out and we're broken. We're, we have a broken heart. So we guard our hearts. Well, it's the same when we, when we approach people. It, it's hard sometimes to, to trust people, to, to open ourselves up to people. But Paul, Paul is tying together a couple different themes here as he says that we need to be known by people. He's tying together this idea of unity. So we've talked about this um, in the series, that, uh, about this idea of unity together as the body. So there's this idea that we need to know each other. We need to be comfortable enough with each other to be known by each other, to be vulnerable, to risk with each other so that we can walk life together. So we do, thi- we do things like worship together. We do things like join community groups together where we live this stuff out, where we are known by each other. So he ties together this idea of unity, but then he also ties in this idea of witness because he encouraged them and challenged them that they as a body had a witness to the world, that how God, the, how the gospel was unfolding in their, in their midst was a witness to the world. Was They needed to be on display for people to see how God was wor- working in them. And so here he's tying together those two things to say, let your gentleness, your graciousness, let what God is doing in you, let it be known to people. Let it be known. 
Put yourself out there. Risk. Because there's something about when you're willing to let people in, it also lets God's presence in. Because you're not just taking a risk on people, you're trusting that God is going to take care of you. In any way that that person might, might try to break you or, or come against you, God's going to carry you. And so he ties together these themes of unity and witness that, that we get to actually experience God's presence more when we're in relationship with others. When we're willing to be vulnerable with people, it opens us to be vulnerable with God. But there's something that on, on, of an opposite effect that happens too. When we're closed to people, when we're guarded, we tend to be closed and guarded to God as well. Because we tend to try to do it on our, uh, on our own strength. We, we try to just kind of take care of our own little kingdom. When we don't let people in, a lot of times our hearts are impenetrable from God as well. And so he's saying, he's challenging them, hey, look, be open with people. Let them see the presence of God at work in your life. And as you do that, you're actually going to experience more of God's presence because I'm going to carry you through. That's a scary thing. It's a scary thing to let people in. It's a scary thing. Now, now, now he also uses this word, everyone, to be known by everyone. Now, I'm not comfortable with that word because I don't want to bear all of who I am to everyone just willy-nilly, right? Like, not, not everybody gets to know all of my junk and all of my mess. But is that what Paul's saying here, that we've got to just totally reveal everything to everyone? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that we're not to exclude people. He's saying we don't exclude people. He's saying, don't choose to just reveal yourself to people who are like you or that who you like, who you're comfortable with. Don't just reveal yourself uh, and your mess and how God is, God's presence is, is working in you. Don't just reveal that to the people sitting next to you at church. Reveal that to your coworker who is far from Christ. Reveal that to the neighbor who you have an argument with or gets upset with you. Reveal that to to people who need to see God's presence. He's saying, don't judge. Don't close people off. Don't, don't exclude people based on your judgment. You can be wise about what you reveal to who, but he's saying, be vulnerable with people. Allow God's presence to work in that. And don't write people off because they're different than you. So letting people in lets God's presence in also. So, so then the third thing is, not only do we be known by people, but then he says, be known by God. So at the end of verse 5 here, there's this little phrase that says, he says, the Lord is at hand. That literally means the Lord is near. He's with you. He's here. He's talking about his presence. This little phrase, the Lord is at hand, is the key to unlocking this entire passage. This is the bigger theme. Yes, we can rejoice in the Lord always. Yeah, we, don't, we can be anxious for nothing. We can bring our prayer before the Lord because the Lord is at hand. Let me tell you, if the Lord wasn't near to us, 
That wouldn't be possible. We would have to do it on our own strength. We'd have to try to do it on our own might. We don't have to do that. The Lord is at hand. His presence is here. His presence that will carry you is here. He wants to be near to you. He wants to be involved in your life. Not because he wants to be on a witch hunt for your sin, but because he wants to lavish you with his grace. He wants to bring salvation. He wants to carry you in the most difficult times of your life. But too often we keep God at an arm's length because we're scared. Because we, we want to control it. Because we don't know what, what that will look like. Because that would mean that we'd have to let him in to the vulnerable places, the risky places. We would have to surrender our whole lives to him. We'd have to change up our priorities, our schedules, our time. We'd have to have relationships with people that we didn't like before. If we, if we really let God have control, if we let him be near to us and his presence invade, it would mean we have to have complete surrender. That's scary sometimes. Sometimes we resist that. Sometimes we... You know, we do this, we, ha we have this um, ability to have a, sac a secular and sacred divide. We do this almost uh, naturally. It's, it's part of our sin nature, I think, where we, we can come into a, a, a spiritual space and experience God, but we go into a secular space, it's out the window. We, we just, it, it's so easy for us to compartmentalize. And, and if this was, if, if what he's saying is true, that God, God wants to be known and he wants to know us, and, and he's near to us, he's present, that would mean he's present in all of us, and it would require complete surrender. Now, our English language kind of fails us when it comes to this word, uh, to be known, to know. Because when you're talking about knowing someone, uh, you can know about somebody, or you can be really in a deep relationship with someone, right? Our English word covers both of those terms, but Spanish has actually two words for that. So saber, the verb saber, means it, that's like facts. It's facts and knowledge and education. So you can know something about someone. doesn't mean that you really have a relationship with them. But then there's conocer, which is the verb that means that you are familiar with someone. You have a relationship there. It's a totally different concept. And sometimes we get those confused in our, in our English understanding. We think that knowing about someone is good enough. That knowing about God is good enough. And it's not. So we do things like we, we listen to lots of sermons, maybe podcast sermons. We, we, we study the Bible those are great things, right? They encourage us. They, they help us in our walk. But if we're not careful, it becomes just about acquiring knowledge, facts, education about God. But we never actually spend the time to be before God and talk to Him and be present with Him and allow Him to speak to us by His Spirit. There's no connoisseur. There's no familiarity. There's no relationship. And, and this, is, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying he's present, he's near, he wants to be known to you, and he wants to know you. He, there's a relationship there. He wants this deep level of intimacy 
The Lord is at hand. He wants us to be known by Him. And here's the awesome thing about being known by God, being truly known in relationship with Him. Look at verse 6 there. Look at the result of this. It says, be anx- or, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So you're making yourself known to God in prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is coming to the Lord and bearing your heart and soul to Him. It's the point of relationship. It's entering into the familiarity with who God is. It's bearing yourself and being vulnerable before Him. Make your requests be made known to God. Lay yourself bare before God. Let Him know you. Let His presence saturate you. And what happens in that context? It relieves the anxiety that we feel in life. It, re- it relieves this anxiety because we're, we don't have to be in control anymore. We don't have to make it all work out. We get to enjoy the presence of God being near the presence that's going to carry us through. See, the root of anxiety is not fear. The root of anxiety is unbelief. It's the fact that you don't believe that God is present. You don't believe that God is enough to carry you through in your crisis, in your storm, in the situations that you face, in the relationship that's going sideways. It's that we become anxious because we don't believe that He's in there, present, and in control. But He wants to be known by us. He wants to be known, He wants us to be known by Him intimately. We can be rooted in His presence in a way that relieves this anxiety. Because when we trust in His presence, we, we're, we're allowing Him relationship and intimacy. Then we get to have the confidence that Paul's talking about. We get to have the confidence to say, I believe, I trust, I have confidence that God is in the middle of this. Even though I don't see him, even though I don't feel it right now, even though things look bleak and grim, I choose to trust in him because I believe he's present. I take confidence in that. And so Paul brings us to this point of prayer, this point of prayer to bear ourselves. He says, in everything, in all of our human condition, in everything, by prayer, which is a a general term, actually. It's a general term that means We can offer anything to God as we come to Him. And then he uses a second term for prayer. He says, by by prayer and supplication. Those are specific things that we bring to God. So he's saying we can bear our hearts to Him. We can come before Him with anything, but we can also bring the specific thing that we need Him to come in His presence to carry us through in. Does anybody take um, relief in that? Is that good news to anybody? Thank you, Jesus, for your presence, that we can come and enjoy that. And then Paul says, with thanksgiving. It's with gratitude and expectation that we make ourselves known to God. See, we can be be full of gratitude and thankfulness because in the middle of that, we know, we have confidence, he's going to come through for us. So to, to trust in his presence... It requires rejoicing. It requires 
being made known by people, being made known by God. And then how do we trust in God's presence? Finally, we rest in his peace. We rest in his peace. I love this. Look, Look at what happens when we have that intimate connection with God, when we welcome that. In verse 7 it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why does God's peace surpass our understanding? It's because it doesn't rely on us, right? Because it doesn't originate from us. His peace comes from Him. It surpasses more than, than, than the situation calls for. It, it goes to the depths of who we are. It calms the storm in the middle of the swell. His presence is near because He's at hand. When we take confidence in that, we experience His peace, a peace that surpasses our understanding. It doesn't depend on how good we are. It doesn't how, depend on how um, how righteous or moral we are the the good things that we do how we measure up to people we experience that peace because we have given ourselves to the presence of god with a confidence that says god in any storm i trust you you've got all of me and that carries us proverbs 3 5 is a great verse and it's a life verse for a lot of people Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. He's the one who makes the path straight. Because we acknowledge him, because we we put our hearts in him, we, we trust in him, we have confidence in him. It surpasses our understanding because it's about him. It's not about us. We can't control it. It's by His grace through our faith. I love, um, I love old hymns. Some of the old hymns are, are just, they're so rich in the way that they communicate and the lyrics. And I love to see some of the stories behind some of the hymns because a lot of times they're shaped by personal struggle. They're shaped by personal experience. And I want to share with you a story of, of one hymn Uh, today as we close together it's a hymn that was written by a man named Horatio Spafford in the 1800s let me read to you this his story says Horatio Spafford was a lawyer and a businessman in Chicago in the mid 1800s he had a wife Anna and five children however they were not strangers to tears and tragedy their young son died with pneumonia in 1871 And in that same year, much of their business was lost to the great Chicago fire. Yet God in his mercy allowed the business to flourish once more. And then on November 21st, 1873, Anna and their four daughters boarded a French ocean liner to cross the Atlantic from the U.S. to Europe. Although Mr. Spafford had planned to go with his family, he was forced to stay in Chicago to help solve an unexpected business problem. He told his wife he would join her and their children in Europe a few days later. And about four days into their crossing of the Atlantic, that French ocean liner collided with a powerful iron-hulled Scottish ship. 
Within approximately 12 minutes, the ship slipped beneath the dark waters of the Atlantic, carrying with it 226 of the 313 passengers, including all four of the Spafford daughters. A sailor rowing a small boat over the spot where the ship went down spotted a woman floating on a piece of the, rug, uh, of the wreckage. It was Anna, still alive. He pulled her into the boat and they were picked up by another large vessel which nine days later landed them in Cardiff, Wales. And from there she wired her husband a message which began, Saved alone, what shall I do? Tragedy, heartache. Mr. Spafford booked passage on the next available ship and left to join his grieving wife. With the ship about four days out, the captain called Spafford to his cabin and told him that they were over the place where his daughters had gone down. It was during that journey that Spafford penned the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. How do you write those words, It Is Well With My Soul? Unless a peace that surpasses our understanding guards your heart in Christ Jesus how can you write these words when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul how can you write that unless you're experiencing the presence of God to carry you through you see, we will all encounter storms in life. We all, we all get the joy of trials. We all get the challenge of, of things that we have to work through. And the question for us is, what will we do in the midst of it? See, the Philippian church, they, they were encountering all kinds of trials. And, and Paul said, here's what's going to keep you on track. Because it'll probably happen again. Here's what's going to keep you on track. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. You've got to make a statement. You've got to make a statement in confidence and boldness that I will accept and I will live in the presence of God no matter what storm because I know the victory at the end. I know the end of the story. I know where the book ends. It ends in Christ's victory. The victory over death. That he's defeated the enemy. And so Spafford in the middle of the darkest time of his life, says, it is well with my soul. That's not something that you can write just off the cuff. That's a statement. That's a declaration. It will be well with my soul because I will trust in God. This morning, I just want to ask us, where in your life do you need to welcome God's presence to a, a greater depth? Where do you need to open yourself up to say, Lord, I'll be vulnerable with everything. I'll be known by people. I'll be known by you. I will rejoice. I will trust that you're at hand. I will be anxious for nothing because I know that your presence is here. Where do we need to welcome his presence to a greater degree in our life? But there's others here that
that you're going through a situation right now where you feel like you're in the middle of the storm. You feel like you're in the middle of the crisis. And you need to sing this out. We're going to sing this together. And you need to sing, It is well with my soul, as a declaration that right there in the middle of it, you're going to trust in God's presence to carry you through. We're going to sing this. And I want to invite you to respond in one of those two situations, one of those two ways. God's presence is here. And when we welcome his presence, he carries us through all of our life. And by the way, this is not just about living through crisis. This is for every day of our lives that we get to live in his presence and experience him carrying us through We get to experience his presence helping us be known by other people in our witness to the world. This is an everyday thing. And so we've got to make this a priority that keeps us and our lives on track as well. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word to the Philippian church that we can identify with so closely. Because Lord, it's hard for us to trust It's hard for us to live in that place where we believe in the middle of anything that your presence is alive and working and carrying us and we will depend on it. We will live into it. We will choose it. We will rejoice. It's hard. And so, Lord God, bring us to that place today. Transform us by your Spirit. Give us your heart that says, you don't have to do this on your own. I'm here. I've got you covered. There's grace, there's peace, there's rest. You don't have to feel the anxiety anymore. You can just rest in my presence. God, bring your presence to us today. Let us experience the fullness of who you are and how you want to work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.